Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Erica Eiffel, co-host of the Bad and Bitchy podcast, owner of the digital media company Not In My Color, joining us from Ottawa. Welcome. Hello. Erica, today we're going to talk about a young woman facing horrific violence and persecution, seeking protection in Canada. Sorry, that should read from Canada. Uh, the woman I'm talking about had her baby torn from her arms by Canadian police. She, she needs protection from Canada. Also on today's show, who accused who of white supremacy in the what now? Jagmeet Singh, absolutely killing it on CTV. <laughs> Good to have you here. It's good to be here. These are exciting topics. Exciting. Erica, this episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Kevin Derbyshire, Shantha Roberts, Jordan Stavra, Oren Shear, Miriam Zaidi, Eugene Mohereb, Jeff Peterson, and Kofi Garbra. My name is Kofi Garbra. I'm a web developer in Alberta. I support Canada Land because of your quest for the truth. I don't always agree with you, but you uncover important stories and help keep Canadian media accountable. I always feel I know more about what's really happening in Canada when I listen to Canada Land. And this episode is brought to everybody by Audible. 
Erica, are you an audiobook listener? I guess I will be now. <laughs> it's okay. You can just, it's, a, it's all right. Maybe you will be now. You're under no obligation. <laughs> I actually need something like that because I consume too much online content. So I need a book. I also miss the kind of like a deep dive experience where things are not in little nuggets and uh, audiobooks are deep, like podcasts are pretty deep dives in today's 32nd uh, media economy, but, but audiobooks are like 18 hour dives. A book that uh, Audible has, I'm kind of curious to check. I was going to buy this book until I heard about the audiobook. The audiobook actually is more appealing to me. It's the Beastie Boys book because the Beastie Boys book is read not just by Mike D and, and, and by Adam Horowitz, but Chuck D reads part of this book. Elvis Costello, Steve Buscemi, uh, Will Ferrell, Rachel Maddow reads part of this book. I, I don't know. There's like a, an, an insane list of people reading this Beastie Boys book. You had me at Chuck D. It's kind of all we needed to say. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I hope it's Chuck D. And there he is. And there you said it. I'm sold. Anyhow, you can get that book for free when you start a 30-day trial with Audible. Your first book will be free. Go to audible.ca slash Canada. Erica, have you been following the saga of Rahaf Muhammad? I have. I have. Especially on Twitter. It is a Twitter story. I don't think any of this would have happened without Twitter, right? Right. So not all social media is bad. No. That's the lesson for today. Good things can happen. I, I think that this is like, it's a good thing, but it's not an uncomplicated thing. <laughs> I'm going to attempt a summary because I think that everyone's... Everyone's probably familiar by now, at least with the photo op, at least with like seeing Christia Freeland welcoming, you know, the sort of white glove treatment of this particular refugee is getting uh, a Christia Freeland chaperone as, as she enters Canada. And, you know, this beautiful young woman who's seeking uh, freedom from the oppressive kingdom of Saud. What is the backstory here? As far as I have been able to piece it together... Rahaf Muhammad Al-Kunin, uh, she's since dropped the Al-Kunin uh, after her family disowned her, is an 18-year-old who her father, who is estranged from her mother, is a governor in Saudi Arabia. And she says, and I don't think there's any reason to disbelieve this, that she's faced terrible oppression. She was locked up by her brother for six months after cutting her hair. She was confined. She says that she's been physically abused by her mother and her brother. And so... Obviously, this is a family of some status and with some means. She schemed a trip to Kuwait where she would have a little bit more latitude to plan her escape. And she escaped and I guess got money together to fly to Thailand. And that's where she was met by a, a Saudi authority who was trying to recapture her and who knows what fate she would have met if she had been returned to Saudi Arabia. She barricaded herself in her hotel room. She put like furniture mattresses against the door and she started tweeting and she knew exactly who to tweet to. She was uh, tweeting to the UN, tweeting to different embassies, tweeting to Canada, Australia, other countries saying, I, I want to defect. I want to be safe. And Canada answered her call. And so... We have watched as this has played out in the media. She shows up in the airport. She's got a Canada hoodie on. She's got a UN uh, baseball cap. She's sort of like broadcasting. These are the entities to which I owe my freedom. And Christian Freeland is very quick to make this a Trudeau government friendly photo op of like, this is what we do. We meet uh, huddled masses and people who need who need protection in airports. So, you know, you, you could probably detect, Erica, in the way that I'm putting this forward that like, I, I think it's possible to consider this a very good thing that we are providing refuge for this person, but also to have some questions about what looks like a very carefully stage managed act of political theater. It's not an act of political theater, but there's political theater involved. Do you share my, I don't know, not, not skepticism, curiosity about how this all played out? 
I think for one, I can say we can say that this is a good thing that 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 happened for her and still look at it with with a great assault. We could walk and chew gum at the same time. I personally thought that this was a naked PR stunt. And while I was happy for her, it gave me, I don't know, it just didn't, it made me feel a bit gross because it was just so naked and just so orchestrated. I mean, like I thought that Australia was preparing to take her. The Australians had indicated that they would, but I found something interested they said is that they would be basically treating her like every other refugee claimant. Canada, not so much. And this kind of naked PR stunt, I think in the longer run will do more to erode confidence in our immigration system than if they had just aided Australia in uh, helping her resettle there. I think that's definitely a part of it. She definitely, like, you know, jumped the queue. And, I mean, she's sort of, like, a ready-for-prime-time, you know, very attractive young woman and a very composed. Everyone's sort of, like, commenting on how confident and and self-possessed she is. I mean, the fact, like, this is not a dig at her. No. She orchestrated all of it. She understands media very well. She's obviously a person with means and wherewithal and educated. And, you know, there's a class issue here that no one's talking about. Like, there's a lot of... Yes, yes. You know, there's a lot of people, you know, in the caravan who would like to be in Canada who can make similar claims about gender-based violence as, a you know, the basis of a refugee claim. Uh, they're not getting met by Christian Freeland, you know, they're, they're, and, and they're probably not coming to Canada because there's also, beyond just the class distinction, there are the political considerations that, you know, we're not going to make Trump look bad by posturing and taking in the people who he's rejecting. But when it comes to Saudi Arabia, we're very keen to seize an opportunity to make Saudi Arabia look bad. Oh, yeah. And there's there's a whole narrative around Saudi Arabia here that no doubt influenced their decision. Let's be honest. I agree. She's very media savvy. She once you said her father was a governor. She also has means Like you said, the people in the caravan or other refugees from quote-unquote shithole countries do not have that advantage. And at the end of the day, class still rules, no matter where you're from. So I think that that's something that we don't talk about in Canada. We don't talk about class much in Canada because it's we treat class like we treat race. It's if we don't see it, it's not there. And and to talk about it gives us the heebie-jeebies. And so I think that she hits all the boxes. She's of mean. She's educated. She's pretty. She's not dark-skinned. She has all of those things. She's young. She has this bright future. She takes really good photos, you know? And so she becomes the perfect sort of uh, symbol in a tumultuous geopolitical world. Yeah. She's also, I mean, part of this that I'm kind of enjoying is that she's got all the pundits are super confused, especially on the right, <laughs> right? It's like, you know, Tarek Fatah at The Sun. I mean, Tarek Fatah, I first encountered him when I was a producer of the CBC, and he, he was a, a guest who was sort of this voice against oppression and, and religious dogmatism and violence and sexism in Islam. And I suppose he is still a voice like that, but he has increasingly kind of gotten radicalized himself to the point where he, you know, he talks about how he, he still has, I think, published and, and not retracted a claim that the Quebec mosque shooting was a false flag, you know, conspiracy. he's a conspiracy theorist at this point. And if you follow him on social media, I think it's fair to say that he's a fairly hateful anti-Islamic voice who, you know, misses no opportunity to take really low shots at just like any Muslim person who does anything that looks bad anywhere. But, you know, in this instance, he was a champion 
of this young woman and and bringing attention to this. Uh, it's consistent with his politics because she renounced Islam. And so he was waiting for her with flowers. And I'm, I don't want to take anything away from whatever role he played in actually getting her her freedom. But then you've got other people on the right. It's really interesting because, like, you know, the claim is always, oh, we're not racist against Islam because Islam isn't a race. It's a religion. We're just anti-religious. And now you've got this woman. It's like, oh, but she's still brown and a woman. And she's still like a refugee. And we don't like any of that. But she's renounced Islam. What do we do? And they're very confused. I, mean, I couldn't help but go, uh, God help me, to Faith Goldie's Twitter account. And she's just like, all of her wires are getting crossed. And she's She's got tweets that are uh, ironic, but not ironic. She's sort of like trying to start a conspiracy theory that maybe uh, Rahaf Muhammad is like some sort of inside job. And, you know, isn't it weird that she doesn't speak English, but her tweets were in English, asks Faith Goldie. <laughs> so I'm enjoying how no one. Yeah, know. like <laughs> and race will always be a great divider with them. And that's the thing. They are the alt-right, like white nationalism. Those are the values they espouse. Those are the values they're trying to spread. So there's no way that someone who's brown and foreign is going to get much love from them. Even if she does, that's the other thing that she did that plays very well into a Western narrative is that she renounced Islam. And I think that was a sort of cherry on top for a lot of pundits and for a government that's trying to show itself a certain way. I think, you know, again, like, you know, there's an individual here who uh, did a courageous thing and I think did it in a, in a really kind of exciting and smart and, you know, it's a compelling story. The part of it that I am critical of is like just the hypocrisy. I mean, just listen to this. Let's listen to, to what Justin Trudeau had to say about this. Canada is always ready uh, to stand up for human rights, always there uh, to defend women's rights around the world. We are a country that uh, continues to provide asylum to people who uh, are fleeing. Uh... I want to contrast that, Erica, with another story that exploded through social media. Like Rahaf's story, we wouldn't know about this story if it wasn't for social media. And what I'm going to play now is, uh, I should warn people, uh, somewhat disturbing tape of... Uh, an indigenous mother in a Manitoba hospital having her newborn baby literally wrenched from her arms by police. But Child and Family Services has the power here to apprehend the baby. Okay, we're going to act. We're going to actually physically remove the baby. I'm going to pray for you. I don't want to do that. It's uh, hard to hear that, but I think we need to hear that. And the story there, they won't the uh, they don't name the mother or the family. And I don't think they should. But the hospital apparently they flagged her file that she appeared drunk to them when she came to deliver her baby. The family vigorously denies that that is the case. Uh, the authorities seized the baby. Uh, the, the cops took the baby um, on the instructions and the authority of child services. And now we're reading stories about like when this baby is going to be returned to the family. And and in that clip, there's like aunties and family members there who are saying like, well, give the baby to us. We're happy if there's a concern here, we can look after this baby until we sort out this claim. And that was not possible. The baby was taken by authorities. And I think that the authority for that was shifted from child services to an indigenous association. And then, and then there's talk now that the family, the mother will be reunited with her baby. But if we're talking about the government oppressing women. This is a country where we take babies. This was not an isolated incident. Like the stats that uh, the Globe and Mail reported here, this happens on average every day in Manitoba alone that a baby is removed, a newborn baby is removed from her mother. And 90% of the time it happens to indigenous women. 
Well, that's what white supremacy looks like. How much longer? It. I have to say this. It always galls me how dumb they think we are, the Trudeau government. For Justin Trudeau to stand there and say that Canada protects women and girls around the world, maybe around the world, but not here, not if they're indigenous, not if they're of color. I mean, that is what white supremacy looks like. And I find it interesting that the Trudeau government has a tendency to look abroad and see where it can exert itself, yet run away from the problems it has at home. And this has been a problem that's gone on since I don't know when. I mean, this is, it's just another form of a 60 scoop, to be honest. Yeah. It's just institutionalized. Well, it was institutionalized then. It's just taking another form today. And I've heard very little about stuff like this from the government. And they they are aware of it because they provided money, I believe, in budget, I want to say budget 2016, it could be 2017, for child welfare on reserve. So they know that child welfare on reserve is chronically underfunded. And that creates a structural differential in terms of outcomes. Yeah, I, I have like, a, I guess, a bunch of thoughts about this stuff. I mean, on the one hand... I'm glad, in a sense, that the Trudeau government grandstands on this uh, humanitarian stuff. Previous governments just ignored it. So even though it's totally hypocritical for Trudeau to kind of keep playing this shiny pony card of, like, we protect women all around the world, that does create an opening to actually point out the hypocrisy, whereas I think in the past it was just totally stonewalled. So there's almost like a utility to the hypocrisy. It allows us to have conversations, because we never used to even cover this stuff. And maybe it's more about social media making it possible. And, yeah. and again, like, you know, this was a horrific news story that isn't news because it happens every day. I mean, you're, you're like, you're spot on in saying, like, it's the 60 scoop all over again. Except for the fact that, like, we now look back at the 60 scoop or we can look back at residential schools and we have a name for it and we file it under atrocities of the past. Mm -hmm. What's happening now with indigenous kids living in non-indigenous families being taken from their families, that's happening right now in a scale that, like, overwhelms some of those numbers from the past. We just don't have a name for it yet. And... People will say, well, yeah, there's a reason why some of these kids are taken from their parents. Uh, so in some cases, you know, the state has an obligation and there is uh, addiction issues and safety issues. But then all of the stuff like you pull on the thread, where do you stop? It's like, OK, well, let's talk about why there are those issues. Well, I was just about to say that. Yeah, it's like. Here's the problem with finally giving a shit about the atrocities that this country continues to inflict upon indigenous people, because we never used to cover it at all. And now we're starting to cover it. And the problem with that is that you can't really go from like zero coverage to a little bit of coverage, because as soon as you actually accept that that's news, it doesn't end. The shit don't end. You could fill your newspaper with this stuff every single day. And meanwhile, there's no indigenous, uh, very, very few indigenous reporters in mainstream news organizations who are equipped to cover this stuff properly. So, you know, that story, because the uncle hit record on his cell phone, is national news. Yeah. So what about when it happens every single day from now on? Are we going to go back to ignoring that? I don't know. I think you just basically articulated my thoughts. I think that, like I said, social media has its place. It does good things. And I think, too, that the more we realize the disparate experiences in this country, 
with women, with people of color, with LGBTQ plus folks, once we accept that there is a difference in the way that the state treats them, then we can actually cover this with, I think, with more nuance. Erica, you have listened to uh, this podcast before? Many, many times. So you've heard Duly Noted? I have. Erica, what do you have? I have Gillette's new ad that was released on Monday and has gotten like the internet all a flutter <laughs> and some hate too. So um, Gillette released a new ad that is a new take on the best a man can get, which is their tagline. And it's a commercial that tackles bullying, sexism, sexual harassment, Me Too, and basically asks men to do better. And it says things like, it has clips of Terry Crews. I was so happy they they included Terry Crews in it. And the clip of Terry Crews says, men need to hold other men accountable. And so this is just, they release short form 30 and six second versions online and it's caused quite a ruckus on social media. A lot of men were offended. I believe Piers Morgan even had a comment, which he always does, about how Gillette has made men ashamed of being men. And I think basically it's just, it's bullshit. I believe that this ad is along the sort of Nike plane of acknowledging certain inequalities and speaking of them in an ad. And I think it hits the mark. I like the ad because now I know that the best a man can get is to say, bro, not cool, when some guy acts like a total (laughs) fucking pig. That's all I got to do to be the best a man. Bro, not cool, bro. And I'm good. I thought I had to do so much more to be the best a man could get. I but now it's, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm going to go look for some guy who's going to, you know, catcall some woman. I'm just waiting for my next opportunity to go, bro, not cool. And then I'm, I'm Gillette worthy. What I noticed about this ad is the way it portrayed black men. Uh, if you look at the ad itself, black men are shown as fathers with their daughters telling them they're strong. They're shown as husbands. They're shown as interveners. They're shown in a very, very positive light. And I am not the only one who has noticed this because I noticed that a lot of white men were complaining that the ad cast white men as abusers and in a in a bad light. And I just want to say to them, welcome. <laughs> Your arrival has been noted. <laughs> Duly noted. Erica, I have one. It's going to take a minute. I would like to duly note an update to the ongoing legal saga of the uh, the legal threats that we've been receiving from the Kielberger's WE organization. Listeners will recall that we we published some investigative reports on the WE movement, a two-part investigation that our reporter, Jaron Kerr, reported, and we published that, and they have uh, been threatening us with lawsuits ever since. Um, The update today is a change of venue. They intend to sue us in Manitoba. Now, why would they do that? You may ask. After all, their headquarters is right down the road from us here in downtown Toronto. It's like a 10-minute streetcar ride on Queen Street uh, East. And and the courthouse is right in between. We could have a perfectly lovely trial right here in Toronto and then go skating together in Nathan Phillips Square. 
why why does everybody now have to schlep to Winnipeg instead? Which is no dig uh, on Winnipeg, no offense. Um, I'm a big fan. I really like how the exchange district is, is being rejuvenated. Uh, the, the Forks, lovely. We could have, it's a nice place for a trial. We could have a trial. We could all eat Genie's cake afterwards. But it is far. So why? Why do they want to do this there? Why do they want to sue us in Winnipeg? I will begin with their side of it. Here is why they say they want to do this in, in Manitoba. They say that when our first story, we, we published two, and they want to sue us over both of the stories. But when our first story came out, they were about to have We Day Manitoba. And so we hurt them, they claim. They also say that they have one of their largest donor or donors in Manitoba. And they say that they have key witnesses who live in Manitoba, key documents stored there. They're not saying which ones, it's a secret for now, but all will be revealed, all will become evident as the lawsuit moves forward. This is just strange to me because I am embarrassed to admit this, but like only a small percentage of our web traffic, of our readership and listenership resides in Manitoba. Ontario is the biggest by far. There was a Wee Day Ottawa coming up after we published both of our stories. There is a Wee Day Vancouver. BC is the second biggest province when it comes to Canada Land's audience. You know, they don't know our, our traffic stats, but, but those are bigger cities than Winnipeg. So anyhow, we know why they say they want to do this in Manitoba. There may be another reason why they wish for this to play out in Manitoba. And that reason is that Manitoba has no anti-slap law. Ontario has an anti-slap law. BC will soon have an anti-slap law, but Manitoba doesn't. What is anti-slap? Well, SLAP stands for Strategic Lawsuits Against Public Participation. So an anti-slap law is trying to get rid of when people file strategic lawsuits that are trying to prevent public participation. For example, a company could use litigation to intimidate and shut up reporters in order to stop them from continuing to report matters of the public interest. The court might consider that a slap lawsuit. You might also bring to the court a case where there's a legitimate lawsuit where a company or a person has suffered damages, but the public participation part, the public's interest in the reporting outweighs those damages. So the court says, there's no reason for this to play out for years and years. It's a slap lawsuit. We're going to just get rid of it right now. And so in Ontario and soon in BC, if you think you're facing a lawsuit like that, at a very early stage, you can go before a judge and say, I think that I'm facing a slap suit. And the judge can say, okay, we don't need to deal with this. This is gone. It's better for the courts. It's better for taxpayers. It's better for a free press, but there isn't anything like that in Manitoba. So I asked the WE organization, is this a slap suit? Is your intention here to intimidate us and, and to shut us up? I will read their full response. Quote, an informed view of all legal merits of the case would lead to the clear conclusion that Manitoba is the most relevant and appropriate jurisdiction in Canada. Furthermore, SLAP is irrespective on this matter because Canada Land's conduct was so egregious in publishing knowingly false statements, digitally altered documents and manufactured evidence and failure to appropriately retract that the legal outcome of this case will be ruled the same in all regions of Canada. I don't agree with much of that, but I do agree that the outcome would be the same anywhere in Canada. Our reporting is defensible. We stand by it. It's just going to take a lot longer to get to that outcome in Manitoba than anywhere else. Duly noted. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. 
They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. Let me just quickly talk about China, which is another big issue. This past week, the Chinese ambassador to Canada put out an editorial that accused Canada of having a double standard. They've detained two Canadians after Canada detained the, uh, one of the business executives from Huawei, as you know, in Vancouver. But the ambassador from China accused Canada of, quote, white supremacy. If you were the prime minister, what would you say to the Chinese right now? Sorry, who accused who of uh, white supremacy? The, ch- the ambassador from China to Canada wrote an editorial, and he said there's a double standard bet- uh, between Canada's enforcement of the rule of law, and there's two Canadians, as you well know. So that wasn't so good. No, that, no. <laughs> that was not it. <laughs> Let's put it that way. How am I more up to date on these things than Jagmeet saying? Because I saw white supremacy, China and Canada going through my Twitter feed. I'm like, ooh, what's that? <laughs> I mean, who are his handlers? I have a Jagmeet Singh story, by the way. I want to hear your Jagmeet Singh story. I, I, like, I always want to question my own initial responses to things. And when I saw that, I'm like, wow, he fucked that up. And, and yeah. not just that he fucked that up. And like, especially if you're doing a remote on TV, people don't, you know, you just see these two people having a conversation, it seems. It really right. is alienating. Like, you've got this earpiece. There's often a, a delay, a lag. There's a voice in your ear. Evan Solomon's question was kind of going in five different directions at once. I can understand a moment of confusion. We're like, what are you asking me? But it became clear as Jagmeet went on that it wasn't just that he was having trouble following the question, but that he did not know anything about this. And he was basically just scrambling to say generic things based on what Evan Solomon, like it seemed that his knowledge of this story of China accusing Canada of white supremacy and that's why, et cetera, et cetera, was based just on what Evan Solomon had just said. And that shouldn't be, and it shouldn't be because people should be telling Jagmeet Singh about matters of importance that a possible prime minister would have to know. And Jagmeet Singh should be seeking out these things and being informed about them. So it was pretty damn bad. 
What's your Jagmeet Singh story? Oh, well, okay. So, <laughs> so I was coming from the gym, walking up Bank Street in Ottawa, and I ran into him. So he introduced himself. Hi, I'm Jagmeet Singh, leader of the NDP. I'm like, I know. I tweet about you. And he said, oh, well, that's pretty good. And I said, well, <laughs> you, know how my, <laughs> you know how my Twitter is, you know. So basically what I told him is that his communications was bad and that one of the things I suggested was that, because I always have ideas, was that he do kind of like, I don't know, like either a weekly YouTube or Facebook show or he could put it on IG or whatever and talk about the topics of the week. And at that time, I think that was around the NAFTA 2.0, which is now something else that I can't remember what it's called. It's stupid. What is it? USMCA? Something US, like that. Mexico, it's Canada. US, yeah, some long. Something like that. And my point was that you need to connect with your base first. They, Jagmeet Singh has ghosted the Canadian population for like months and now we're seeing him again. And instead of like a rebrand, he told me he was doing some sort of rebrand or re-up on this, on his communications. And, you know, what I see now is either he doesn't have the will or the personnel, or maybe it's both. I don't know, because this is a huge story. This is not a story that is obscure by any stretch of the imagination. And just as somebody who is interested in politics and interested in the government of the day, wouldn't you just follow this story? You don't even need handlers. You just need to follow the damn story. And like, if I can't trust you to do that, why should anybody trust you to speak for them? That is the big question. And how did this happen? I want to know how it happened. You know, like it, that's just he's he's supposed to be playing politics. Uh, this uh, he he like the NDP is, is a federal party, you know, like they're supposed to be doing this at a certain level. And it, it really is the big question. You know, OK, so so we had him on Oppo and Justin Ling and Jen Gerson interviewed him. They actually interviewed him before the CTV thing happened. And, you know, if you listen to it, it's like, oh, he's not the mumbling, ill-informed and media unsavvy person in that CTV interview. He's cogent. He presents his policies quite well. And I, I think it, it was uh, interesting. to. There's obviously a lot more to him than was revealed in that one bad day, that one moment. But it shouldn't have happened. And like the real question for him and for the NDP is it's kind of like you look around the world and there is like a breath of fresh air that is being blown into the organized left and you're seeing transformative figures. I mean, and, and it's coming like sometimes with bringing back old ideas that we've lost of like actually what does the left mean when it's not just the appearance of progressives who are actually centered left parties, but like bringing back forms of, of, of socialism in, in, in various capacities. If you're hearing it from Bernie Sanders, if you're hearing it from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, if you're hearing it from Jeremy Corbyn, this is not an endorsement of any of these people, merely to say, I'm getting a clear idea of what a energized left is in the world in yeah. 2019. And it's just like not happening here. 
Like No, it's not. Every time we say this, there's like a few voices which is like, Canada Land doesn't understand the left and you're always misrepresenting the left. I do not think this is an overstatement. Yes, the media gives them short shrift, et cetera, et cetera. You can only blame for so long. Like, I think it has to do with policies. It's just not connecting. It's a failure to launch. It, it, it just ain't happening. Let me give a piece of advice to organizations on the left. Stop running from your ideas. I find that organizations on the left don't defend their ideas. They don't defend their policies. They run from it. Like, let's look at the last NDP leader. He ran so far from the left, it was like Forrest Gump. It was like that gif. I mean, (laughs) I... (laughs) <laughs> he eventually at first he was angry he was doing okay in opposition and then he just had that weird creepy smile and then his policies yeah. took a hard right turn like it just whoop he's gone oh but he's throwing shade now did you see him on ctv <laughs> yeah he was he was surprised and shocked by jagmeet singh's like that's that's okay i i feel like now the knives are out for jagmeet within the party i don't oh, i'm yeah. not an insider or anything oh oh yeah but, you know, there's no unity there there obviously no and and they're they're hemorrhaging candidates left right and center and good ones too. But going back to the left, I mean, an energized left has used, okay, can we talk, I'm going to break and talk about Ocasio-Cortez here. Sure. Who is redefining what a politician is, what a politician on the left looks like and fights for. The point is, is that they fight for their policies and they fight for their ideas. They don't let people on the right who don't know anything really about inclusion or intersectionality. They have no clue, but they let these people bully them into thinking that they should be running from their own ideas. I don't understand. I really don't understand that. And especially in Canada, I find that there's there's almost this apology that is forthcoming before the NDP says anything. Like I the Ontario NDP, I wouldn't put in that basket, so to speak, but it's about time that progressive organizations start standing up and fighting for their damn ideas. That's my opinion. Yeah, and isn't it interesting that like, uh, like I almost see that there's like this like cross generational connection between really old school lefties like Bernie Sanders, and then you do need to bring in and and we're seeing not just people who are rising who happen to be people of color, but people who are like forthright and unabashed with their politics and and finding common ground with those old school lefties. Like I could see why Jagmeet Singh would, would look attractive to the NDP in a media friendly kind of way, but he's not breathing fire the way that you no. need somebody. He's not just like, you know, Charlie Angus would have been better. Like he's just who he is. He's telling it. I was just about to say that Charlie Angus is the voice of that party. I mean, Jagmeet Singh is not. I feel like Charlie Angus is the de facto leader of the NDP. I think that in today's politics, I'm not saying that this is a prescription for all time, but in today's politics, you got to let people know what you're about. Erica, thank you. Thank you. That is Canada Land Shortcuts for this week, and I can be reached at jesse at canadalandshow.com. If you send me an email, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read it. Our Twitter account is at Canada Land. Erica, where can people find you, and where can they find your podcast? 
So you can find me on Twitter at Wicked Chick. That's W-I-C-K-D-C-H-I-Q. Or you can find the podcast on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy. You can also find us on badandbitchy.com. And you can find Not In My Color at notinmycolor.com or at notinmycolor. We have a website too. It is called canadalandshow.com. You can find all kinds of news stories there. As I mentioned, uh, there's an episode of Oppo up this week where you can hear Jagmeet Singh not completely fucking up an interview. This episode is produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do here and you want to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, you can get that when you support us at patreon.com slash canadaland. Please do. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.